Abba, Father, we adore you. And we say, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. And let your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And today, before we go to sleep tonight, give us our daily bread. And by daily bread, we do not mean physical food. But we mean the bread of your word. Cause our souls to feed upon it that we might have life. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Mm. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mm. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Everything that we will say here is framed around 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We're just going to look at the first phrase of that passage of Scripture tonight. You don't even need to turn there in your Bibles. Matter of fact, it's written at the top of session one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. It's interesting that John uses the word behold. The word behold, the way it functions in Scripture, both in the Old and in the New Testament, it is a prophetic call to awareness. Whenever you hear the word behold, you're being called to see something that you cannot see with your natural eyes. You've got to see it with your spiritual eyes. Whenever God says, behold, it means that what you are being invited to see is something that is not obvious. Something that in all of your research and in all of your study and in all of your probing, you would not have seen. Something that it does not, it's not uh, obvious immediately. It does not reveal itself to the naked eye. It's not something that is revealed to the casual observer. You must see at a higher level than you're used to seeing if you're going to behold. So Jesus is just a man among many men who are entering into the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized by this prophet named John the Baptist. But suddenly John turns and sees him and then turns back to the crowd and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A moment ago, he was just a man, but when the prophet invites you to behold, you get to see something that is at a higher level. You get to see that this man is more than just a man. You get to see something in the spirit that you were not able to perceive in the natural. When John says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What he means is that the love of the Father is not something that you can see with your natural eyes. And if you don't behold, if God doesn't give you spiritual eyes to behold, you can live your whole life feeling like God doesn't love you. Or even worse, you can live your whole life trying to earn his love. Or thinking you don't deserve his love. Or thinking that something has disqualified you from his love. But when God gives you spiritual eyes, you're able to behold. You're able to see in the spirit what manner of love, what kind of love, which is not just about the quality of the love, but the quantity of the love. It is both qualitative and quantitative. Behold what manner of love, behold what quantity of love, what vast quantity of love, and what high quality of love. It is Wagyu love. It is A5 love. It is the highest level of love in the history of love. In the existence of the universe, there's no greater love than the love that the Father has lavished upon us, bestowed upon us, or lavished upon us, meaning he has given it so abundantly that it is beyond our needs, beyond our wants, beyond our desires, and even beyond our ability to comprehend or to receive. It is excessive love. 
When Jesus said, the, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, the word he used for more abundantly literally means excessively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's as if, you know, when you drink too much, you've drunk excess, excessively, and now you're intoxicated. You've, yeah. you have, you've taken in more alcohol than your body can take, and now you are intoxicated. Your body has been completely overwhelmed by alcohol. Jesus says, the Father has lavished us with so much love that we should be intoxicated all the time. He's given us more love than our frame can handle. He's given us more love than our consciousness can contain. And once you begin to behold that manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, you are intoxicated with that love all the time. Could you imagine if all of us just lived love drunk? Just constantly just walking around. What's wrong with you? Man, the Father just gave me so much love. I can't contain his love. When you're drunk, you talk differently. What if, what if all of our speech just flowed out of the intoxication of the Father's love? Like, I just couldn't help. But everything I say just flows out of that intoxication. You walk differently when you're drunk. You act, it impairs your judgment. What if our judgment was impaired by the love of God? It's like, what's wrong with you? Why did you make that decision? I'm sorry, my judgment's just been impaired by the love of God. That's why Christians do dumb stuff. We give up stuff that we don't have to give up. We turn away from stuff that we don't have to turn away from. We forsake stuff that we don't have to forsake. We renounce stuff that we don't have to renounce. And the world's looking and saying, why? See, I'm sorry, my, my judgment's been impaired. I'm intoxicated with the love of God. This is the picture of what it is supposed to be like to be a Christian. <laughs> this is not the picture of what it's supposed to be like to be a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God. It's not the picture of what it's supposed to be like to be anointed. Yeah. It's not the picture of what it's supposed to be like to be a pastor yeah, yeah, yeah. or a missionary right. or an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle. It's a picture of what it's supposed to be like to be a Christian. This view of the Christian life of intoxication, constant intoxication with the lavish love of God. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. The question is, why don't I experience that? Yeah. I'm not intoxicated with God's love. Matter of fact, I spend more time being intoxicated with the cares and sorrows of this world. More often than intoxicated with his love, I'm intoxicated with fear. Yeah. Too often I'm intoxicated by anger. Yeah. I'm intoxicated by unbelief. I'm intoxicated by lust. Yeah. Or by need. Yeah. By want, by lack, by poverty. Overwhelmed with the sense of being cursed, but have no sense of being blessed. Constantly confused, very rarely experiencing clarity. And even if I experience clarity, I experience it for a moment and it very quickly dissipates into the atmosphere and I fall back into my confused state. I wish I knew where I was going or where I was supposed to be. I wish I had a, a moment of peace in which I knew I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> the baby said, Amen. You know, one of my problems is that no matter what I do, I should be doing something else. <laughs> Anybody else experience that? I thought it was just me until I shared it with some people. They're like, yeah, that's exactly me. That's me. <laughs> I mean, I will be working my butt off no matter what I'm working on. It's like, you're not working on the right thing. Deep inside, the anxiety is rising. And it's like, if you don't get to work soon, and I'm like, I know, I'll finish this and then I'll get to work. And no matter what I'm working on, it just feels like that's not the right thing. And then after a while, I break that and I go searching for the right thing. And what I find is that that's a metaphor for the way in which most of us believers live our lives. Yeah. You see, when you talk to the average believer and you ask, what's the question that you're asking? Like, what do you want to know? If you could sit with God and ask him one question, what's the question you would ask him? And the answer that I get to that question a lot is, what do you want me to do? Yeah. What do you want to know from God? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? If I just knew what you wanted me to do. And when we say, I want God to tell me what he wants me to do, what I'm actually saying, the, the, the deeper question that I'm actually asking is, what's my purpose? Yeah. Why am I here? Yeah. Why did you put me here on this earth? 
What is my purpose? This is the deepest longing of the human heart to know what is my purpose? Why am I here? And the reason I want to know my purpose is because my purpose will give me a sense of meaning. If I could know this is exactly why I'm here, this is exactly what God put me here to do, if I could know that I'm doing what God put me here to do, and if I could actually accomplish what it was that God put me here to do, to say, I did it and it's done, can you imagine the kind of meaning, (laughs) the kind of significance the kind of fulfillment, the kind of satisfaction that you could experience in life knowing I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. The longing is right. I want to know my purpose. But the question is wrong. What do you want me to do? The question, what do you want me to do, already presupposes something about your purpose that is wrong. The gospel, rightly understood, answers the question, what is my purpose? But we miss the fact that it answers that question because we reframe the question before we can even receive the answer. What we miss often is that the answer to the question, what is my purpose, is dependent upon the identity of my creator. Hmm. Let me ask you this. If God is a milkman, what is your purpose? If God's a milkman, your purpose is to deliver milk or to drink milk? Got milk? It does the body good, (laughs) supposed to at least, although recent studies would say otherwise. (laughs) If God was a basketball coach, what's your purpose? Play basketball. You better learn how to dribble. You better be practicing your free throws, your jump shots, your layups. If God is a basketball coach, if, if that's his identity then your purpose flows out of, your purpose will always flow out of the the identity of your creator. If you can identify your maker, you can discern your purpose. Your current understanding of your purpose flows out of your current understanding of the identity of your maker. Who he is in your mind and in your heart, not in your theology. Because I think most of us in this room could give me the right theology. But in your daily understanding of who you are in light of that purpose, of of that person, that's your real theology. Your real theology flows out of your real understanding of who your maker is. And the question, what do you want me to do? flows out of a fundamental misidentification of your maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you think his fundamental question is, this is what I want you to do, then you don't actually know who he really is. I sat with someone once and he said, you know, I see God as my boss. And I wake up every day and I say, okay, boss, What do you want me to do? And I just wait for the boss to give me my instructions for the the day. And I said, that's so tragic. (laughs) That would be a horrible way to live your life. And if that's the definition of the Christian life, I'm thinking about becoming Muslim or Buddhist or something. (laughs) No, I'm not, but you know. (laughs) If it starts with, God is my boss. If that's God's identity, we're all in trouble. If God's identity is boss or master or Lord, if that's his primary identity, boss or master or Lord, then our primary purpose is to obey. And if your fundamental point of awareness in terms of your relationship with God is whether you are in obedience or disobedience, you've misunderstood who he is. 
If every day all you know is, I'm obeying God, I'm not obeying God, I disobeyed God here, man, I want to obey God, I wish I could obey God, I want to obey God, you don't know who he is. You've misidentified him. So Jesus, the first thing he does when he invites disciples to follow him, watch this, we just finished a six-part series on the kingdom of God. Yeah. Jesus preaches, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is he doing in his preaching? He's inviting people to enter into the kingdom. Yeah. The next thing he does is he starts to call disciples. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, and walking by the Sea of Galilee, he's, he starts calling disciples. Yeah. Come follow me. First he says, enter into the kingdom. Then he says, come follow me. Indicating that when he says, come follow me, what he's actually saying is, come follow me and I'll teach you how to live in this kingdom that I've been preaching. Yeah. Yeah. So come follow me and I'll teach you how to live in this kingdom that I've been preaching. And then he begins to teach when he begins to preach, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to repent. When he begins to preach, then he starts calling disciples, come follow me. Then as he calls disciples, he begins to teach. And what does he begin to teach? The moment he opens his mouth to teach, what comes out? The Father. That is, when he begins to teach, he begins to describe the content of the kingdom that he's been preaching. He says, come enter into the kingdom and live in the kingdom. Then he says, let me tell you what the kingdom's about. Yeah. Your father in heaven. Yeah. Let your light so shine before men so that men might see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Yeah. Love your enemies. Why? So that you might be sons of your father in heaven. Mm -hmm. For he sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. Right? Yeah. You've heard it said, hate your enemies. And love your friends. But I say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Why? So that you can become sons of your Father in heaven. Therefore, you also be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And even in Matthew 6, when he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles are seeking. And your Father knows that yeah. you have need of these things. Yeah. But you seek first the kingdom of God. Why can you seek first the kingdom of God? Because your father already knows yeah. what you have need of before you ask him. Your father, your father, your father, your father. Jesus says if you want to live in the kingdom, the first thing that you must understand is that if you know God as anything other than father, you have misidentified him. You must know him as father. Jesus says, your father. And then they see him praying and they say, can you teach us to pray? As John also taught his disciples to pray, he said, sure. When you pray, say, our father. What he's, what he's actually telling his disciples to do is to DTR. DTR God. Yeah. You've got a DTR. Yeah. Now, the thing we need to understand is, there's no such thing as pure relationship. In order to have any kind of a relationship, you've got a DTR. If you meet somebody and you think they're kind of cute, but that person does not think that same thing about you, and they start to get the sense that you think they're kind of cute, at a certain point, they're going to DTR. They're going to let you know, I just see you as a friend. <laughs> Meaning that the symbol that I've attached to you and that I'm inviting you to attach to me is friendship. Yeah. And you're only going to know me according to that symbol. So don't step outside of the boundaries of that symbol and try to relate to me in any other way. Yeah, yeah. I just friend zoned you. That's what Sonny did to me when I told her how I... <laughs> when a child is born, yeah. its first relational act is to DTR mommy and or daddy. Yeah. What does DTR mean? Define the relationship. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, I just assumed. Yeah, my, my bad. A baby, an infant. Yeah. An infant is born with the capacity to DTR. Wow, yeah. Notice, let me ask you this question. 
Has there ever been a baby whose first word was baby? <laughs> Babies have no capacity to understand themselves, but they can understand mommy and daddy. They have no capacity to self-identify. They're born with an innate capacity to identify mommy, daddy. And once they identify mommy, daddy, they cling to mommy and daddy yeah. for dear life. No self-consciousness, just mommy consciousness and daddy consciousness. Yeah. When they wake up, they don't even know what they need, they, but they know they need mommy or daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Babies are born, they don't know how to say, change me, but they know how to say, <laughs> Mommy! They just know how to scream. <laughs> Meaning yeah. that attachment is the fundamental uh, yeah. human act. Mm -hmm. huh. wow. Attachment. Yeah. Yeah. And attachment presupposes the ability to identify the being to whom you are attaching. Huh. When a baby looks and sees mommy, looks and sees daddy, after a number of interactions, that child will identify mommy, daddy. And actually, any adult that spends enough time with, with baby, baby's going to identify. Sorry. <laughs> I just bapti I gave it, baptized her. <laughs> Which means baby knows mommy and daddy first. Yeah. And only after it comes to maturity does it know baby. Yep. Now, what if you found a baby that was trying to reverse that order? Yeah, I see that that's mommy and dad, but I, you know, I ain't got time for them yet. I got to figure out who I am. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who I am. That's what it's like when you talk to people about coming to Christ and they're like, no, I, I, yeah, I'll come to God one day, but first I got to figure out who I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who you are? What chance would a baby have? You have the same chance of figuring out who you are before you figure out who God is as a baby has of figuring out who he is before he figures out yeah, who mommy and daddy is. Yeah. And this is why Jesus said, unless you become like little children, yeah. unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you will by no wise enter into it. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you become like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom. Matter of fact, you must become like an infant. Yeah. This is why Jesus said you must be born again or else you can't see the kingdom of God. Yeah. You've got to go all the way back to infancy and be born. It simply means, what that means is, you've got to stop searching for yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. The reason you don't know your purpose is because you're looking for it. <laughs> you've got to stop looking for you. Yeah. You gotta stop trying to figure out who you are. You gotta stop trying to figure out what am I supposed to do and what am I and what about me and what about for it's not about you. Yeah. This is one of the great paradoxes of the kingdom. Jesus said, if anyone seeks to save his life, he's gonna lose it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he who loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. You wanna find you? Forget you. You want to find you? Stop looking for you and just yeah. start looking for God. Yeah. Just start looking for daddy. Stop looking for you and start looking for daddy yeah. and forget you. And don't approach him with questions. <laughs> approach him with trust. Wow. Baby approaches mommy and daddy with complete trust. I will go to mommy. I will go to daddy. Mommy and daddy will figure out what I need. Yeah. And they'll take care of my needs. Yeah. If I need to be changed, they'll change me. Yeah. If I need to be fed, they'll feed me. Yeah. If I need to be washed and cleansed, they'll wash me and cleanse me. Yeah. If I need rest, they'll put me down. If I need to wake, they'll wake me up. Yeah. If I need to change, they'll change me. What if we had that attitude yeah. in our relationship with God instead of walking around all the time going, oh, I got to wash myself. Oh, I got to cleanse myself. Oh, I need to break this off of my life. Oh, I need to stop doing this. Oh, I need to stop doing that. Oh, I need to learn this and I, I need to get this and I need. Yeah. You know more about you than you know about God. Yeah. And that's why you don't know nothing about you. Trying to find yourself 
is like trying to focus a telescope so that you can see what's on the inside of the telescope. Wow. I'm going to let you just ponder that one for a second. (laughs) Do you know how frustrating it would be to be looking through a telescope and trying to focus it so that you could see what's inside of it? You're not, a telescope cannot see what's inside of itself. It can only see what's outside of itself. It can only see what's beyond it. And you are, were not created to see what's inside of yourself. You were not created to navel gaze. Yeah. I got to do some self-searching. No, you don't. <laughs> got to do some self-searching and I've got to find myself. You will get lost in yourself and never make your way out. You don't do self-searching, you lose yourself. It's all in the garden. All of it. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, everything's there. It's all in the garden. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he does so by speaking. Light be. Bam! There goes light. He separates the light from the darkness. Earth be, bam, there goes light. He separates the dry ground from the seas. He speaks the sun, moon, and stars into the atmosphere. He speaks the fish into the sea. He speaks the birds into the air. He speaks the animals onto the land. But when it comes to the creation of man, he does not speak except an intra-Trinitarian dialogue transpires. Let us make Yatsar. Let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness, which in biblical language is the language of sonship. Because a few chapters later it said, Adam had a son in his own image and in his own likeness and named him Seth. Whenever anyone is in the image and likeness of another, that's called a son. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let us make man. And then God gets down on his hands and knees and starts to gather clay. And he forms the man out of the dust of the ground. And then puts his nose, his his mouth on the nostrils of this clay figurine and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and all of a sudden Adam wakes up. I want you to get this picture lying in the grass in the middle of the garden. Adam has his first moment of consciousness. His eyes open. What does he see? Not the garden. Not the animals. Not the sea, not the sky, not the birds, not the fish, not the woman, not other men. He sees God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam's eyes open, and the first thing he sees, and the first thing he knows, the first thing he smells, and the first thing he hears, the first thing he feels, the first thing he becomes conscious of, the first thing he tastes is the presence of God. This is not only Adam's first experience, this is the first human experience. This is the paradigmatic human experience. This is the experience that makes us human. Mm -hmm. This is the definition of what it means to be a human being. Adam sees God. Mm. And in that moment, looking into the eyes of God, Adam DTRs. Yeah. Abba. How does Adam know that that's God? How how does Adam DTR God? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear... But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, 
father. Abba is the Hebrew word for father. The same is written in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, therefore, you are no longer slaves, but sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. DTRing God is the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Meaning that when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you, he brings with himself the ability to identify God yeah, yeah, yeah. as your father. Yeah. In the natural, you would see king. In the natural, you'd simply be scared to death. In the natural, you'd simply want to run and hide. In the natural, you would see master. In the natural, you would see Lord, but you wouldn't see father. But because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, what you see when you look into the eyes of God is father. Yeah. And the spirit cries out. Abba, Father. You find yourself crying out, Father, and you don't know why. Because many of you in this room have no emotional capacity to identify a father. Hmm. That symbol is dead to you. Some of you in this room didn't have a father growing up. Some of you had a father, but he was evil. Or he was abusive, or maybe he did the best he could. Maybe he wasn't evil, but he was flawed. Maybe he was just broken in some ways, in some fundamental ways, and he broke you. And so when you heard that God was your father, that symbol had nothing to do with you. It didn't connect with you. It doesn't make any sense to you. And you feel like you're so emotionally broken that you can never connect with the symbol of fatherhood. It's it's meaningless to you. Without the Holy Spirit, yes. Yes. If connecting with the Father depended on your emotions, we'd all be lost. Yeah, yeah. But connecting with God as your Father is not dependent upon your emotions. Amen. It's not dependent upon your, your emotional history. It's not dependent upon your background. Do you know what it's dependent? It's dependent upon the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart is able to do what no amount of therapy and no amount of counseling and no amount of healing could ever do in your life. The Holy Spirit is able to identify God as your Father in a moment. Yeah. <clears throat> Which means that if we have trouble connecting with that image, we simply need more of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in our hearts and minds. Adam looks up and sees God. He experiences God. Adam is God conscious. He's not even Adam conscious. He hasn't even looked in a mirror to see what Adam looks like, but he knows what God looks like. He's neither, he's not Adam conscious and he's not world conscious. He doesn't even know what the world looks like, but he knows what God looks like. He's not sea conscious or fish conscious or bird conscious or or land animal conscious, but he's God conscious. He's not conscious of any of his needs, any of his wants, any of his desires. He's not conscious of any of his shortcomings, any of his fears. He's only conscious of one thing, God. And God introduces him to the world. I talked to somebody here at the church and they said, yeah, when I came, I met this person and this person took me around the church and said, hey, this is my friend Bob and this is my friend John and this is my my homie. This is my my girl, Jennifer, and this is my girl. And and he introduced me to everyone in the church. I knew this guy and because I knew this guy, I knew all of these people, but I knew them all through this person. God is that person for Adam. God takes him and says, let's go for a walk. And he says, this is my garden. And he says, these are my animals. And he brings all the animals to Adam. He goes, matter of fact, why don't you name them for me? You know, I haven't given them names. Go ahead, give them names. God introduces him to the sky. Look, that's the sky. God introduces him to the sea. Look, that's the sea. God introduces him to the land. Look, this is the land. God introduces him to the garden. This is the garden. And then God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Come here, Adam. I got something for you. Why don't you just lay down and take a nap? Just go ahead and go to sleep. And then God just does a little surgery there, takes his rib out. And then God introduces him to the woman. Adam didn't have to worry about finding a place to live. God gave him a place to live. He didn't have to worry about finding a wife. God gave him a wife. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us men had that in our minds? Instead of looking around, let God bring you your wife. It'll go a lot better for you if you let God do it. 
Ladies, let God bring you your husband. Mm -hmm. He knew God, and God introduced him to everything else. And as long as he trusted God and made a decision, I only know what God introduces me to. I'm only going to know what God shows me. I'm not going to know anything other than what God shows me. I'm, I'm going to know God. I'm going to walk with him in the cool of the day. And anything he shows me, any door he opens for me, I'm going to go through that door. But if there's a door he doesn't open for me, I'm not, I'm not going to try to knock it down. Why? Because I'm only going to know God. I'm going to know God only and everything else I'm going to know through him. And if there's anything that I can't know through him, I'm not going to know it. I'm not going in any room by myself that God can't go with me into that room. I'm not going there. Yeah. What if Adam just thought that way? So God says, all right, Adam, come here. See this tree right here? Don't, don't touch it. How come? I don't know. Is there something? Is the tree poison? No, of course not. I created this garden. There's no evil in the world. There's nothing wrong with this tree at all. It's just a tree. But I'm just telling you, don't eat from it. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is it called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam already had the knowledge of good. He didn't have the knowledge of evil. He was never supposed to have the knowledge of evil. There's some stuff you're never supposed to know. There's a realm of knowledge you're never supposed to dabble in. Yeah. Why did God put a tree in the middle of the garden and say, this is off limits, don't touch it? Because love must always be a choice. And if there's no choice, there's no love. Two scriptures I want you to ponder for a moment. First is Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Am I right? Can anything separate you from the love of God? Okay, Jude one twenty one. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Oh, I didn't get no amens on that one. <laughs> Jude 121, keep yourselves in the love of God. Amen. It seems like there's a contradiction here. Because if nothing can separate me from the love of God, why do I have to do anything to keep myself in the love of God? I'll tell you why. Thanks for asking. Because we actually haven't read Romans 828, 8.38 correctly. I'm going to read it to you again. I'm going to quote it to you again. And I want you to listen. I trailed off on the end of it, on the part that we tend to kind of just skip over. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did that clarify it for you? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Sounds like a universal statement, which is in a very particular place. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Meaning, if you are in Christ Jesus, our Lord, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So when Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God, what he means is keep yourself in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What's the definition of sin? I'm getting ahead of myself. If God is your father, what's your purpose? Let's take it back a step. Yes. <laughs> if God is a milkman, what's your purpose? Deliver milk. If God is a basketball coach, what's your purpose? If God is your heavenly inventor and you're his invention, you better figure out how you're supposed to function. I think a lot of believers feel like an invention. I just don't know what kind of an invention I am. So I don't know how I'm supposed to function. Can you imagine being a machine but not knowing what kind of machine you are? What am I supposed to do? Am I a toaster? You spend your whole life going, am I a toaster? Do I make bread? 
Am I a sewing machine? Nope, I don't see no needles. <laughs> you spend your whole, am I a washing machine? What am I? I wish God would give me a revelation and tell me what kind of machine I am so I can function properly. Yeah. Am I an evangelist? Am I supposed to share the gospel? Don't you realize that's the same train of thought? Yeah. Am I a pastor? Yeah. Am I supposed to be pastor of church? What am I? Am I a scholar? Am I a, maybe I'm a tech person. <laughs> so I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll take eight years to get through college because I'm going to change my degree 27 times because I'm trying to figure out what I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to get a job and leave it in six months because I don't think I'm making an impact. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they rec recognize my gifts here. What are your gifts? I don't know yet, but I just know they're not recognizing them. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to change my career path. Go over here and be this. No, that's not it either. Go over here and be this. And pretty soon you're just bouncing around the earth like a ping pong. And the next thing you know, you're 40 years old and you still don't know what you are. Yeah. If God is your father, what is your purpose? No, that's your identity. If God is your father, what is your purpose? Let me ask you this. How many of you here are parents? Brandon, Tana. Why did you want kids? I mean, you wanted kids, right, when you had them? <laughs> Because, I mean, that could be another conversation like, well, actually, <laughs> we didn't actually, you know, intend. No, I'm just kidding. Why? Can, could you imagine if you came to my house and Alethea was walking around going, Daddy, what's your will? I just want to know what you want me to do. Daddy, am I doing what you want me to do? What if she woke up every morning? I just want to do your will, Daddy. Knocked on my door. Daddy, what's your will? Tell me what your will is. What's your plan for my life, Daddy? Just want to know what your plan is for my life. For real? I mean, well, first of all, my plan for your life is not to be having conversations with you all the time about my plan for your life. <laughs> my will is not to be telling you my will all the time. Yeah. I just want to make sure I do with my life what you want me to do with it. What do you want me to be when I grow up? I don't care. My daughter asked me, Daddy, do you want me to be a pastor when I grow up? I don't care. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be a pastor, that'd be great. But if you want to be something else, that'd be great too. I don't have this grand plan for your life. I didn't bring you forth so that I could dictate every decision of your entire life and just like try to play out my dreams and my through you so I could live vicariously through you and make you do all the stuff that I wanted to do. That's not no good parent. As a child for that reason. Yeah. You ever talk to a parent who said, let me tell you why I had a daughter. I'm, I was tired of washing dishes. <laughs> and I knew it would take about 10 years. But when that 10th year came, <laughs> my dishwashing days are over. And the husband's like, yeah, and I'm tired of taking out the garbage. Let's have some sons. <laughs> Do you know why a lot of believers have anxiety, and especially spiritual anxiety? Because I, I just don't think I've, I just don't think I've, I've pleased God yet. I just, I just don't think I pleased him yet. And 
Most Christians have this hope deep in their heart that one day I'm going to please God. One day I'll do right enough to please him. One day I'll be holy and righteous enough to please him. One day I'll be fruitful enough to please him. One day my works will please him. One day I'll figure out what he wants me to do. I'll live in his will and he'll be pleased. Does any parent think that way about your kids? If you think that way about God, you have not identified him as father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife was told that she had a miscarriage. And what, two weeks later, when we went to the OBGYN and they did the ultrasound again, and suddenly there was an eight-week-old embryo and this little heartbeat was going. I was pleased. The only thing she had to do to please me was have a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I was so pleased, I wept tears of joy. Yeah. And I wept tears of joy for about two weeks. <laughs> I mean, I was driving later in the car with my wife, and I'm like, so baby, where do you want to go to get some dinner? <laughs> She's like, why are you crying about dinner? I'm like, no, it's not. It's my baby. She's alive. It's my baby. Ah. I'll never forget the day she was born. And I held her in my arms for the first time. Sheer pride. Sheer joy. Sheer pleasure. Why? Because I'm a father. She had zero functions except natural bodily functions. <laughs> yeah. She contributed nothing to the house. Yeah. In fact, she was a major distraction. <laughs> She prevented us from sleeping. She prevented us from eating. She prevented us from working. She prevented us from making love to one another. She hindered everything. But yet, yeah. we were pleased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were pleased. Why? Because I'm a father. If you get it in your heart and mind that God is your father, all of a sudden, you will awaken to the reality that he's always been pleased with you. The moment you were born into his kingdom, he was so pleased. The way I carried Alethea in my arm and went to the window and everybody who came by, I'm like, look, this is my baby girl right here. Look, this is my baby girl. And, you know, my dad and mom came to the window. They're crying and I'm crying. It's my baby girl. I'm so happy. And, and Emil came to the window and everybody came one by one by one. It's just sheer pride. Do you, you realize that the day you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you were born into the kingdom of God, that God carried you all over heaven and said, look, my son, look, my daughter, Look, my child, in whom I am well pleased. Yeah. Yeah. See, that revelation yeah. is what it means to behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. See, you have never beheld what man, you haven't beheld the kind of love because you didn't identify him as the Father. Yeah. Because you didn't know him as father, you didn't know the kind of love that he has for you. Yeah, yeah. You could never earn his pleasure. Yeah. Because you don't need to. Yeah. That cry in your heart, I just want the father, I just want God to be pleased with me. Done. Yeah. Are you his child? Then that's done. Yeah. Get on to something else. Yeah. <laughs> Pray for something else. Yeah. Stop asking. Don't you ever ask him to be pleased with you again. Yeah. Pray for something else. Yeah. Thank him that he's pleased with you. Yeah. Yeah. How could he not? You're his, can you, how could, I, could you imagine a lady? Daddy, are you pleased with me? Of course I'm pleased. I'm always pleased with you. Yeah. You know what's crazy is a lady was colicky when she was little. And she was always 
screaming <laughs> and crying and not sleeping <laughs> constantly. Do you know what was crazy? Is when she screamed and when she acted out, that was not the moment when we backed away from her. Yeah. When she would scream, we would run to her. Yeah. You think the father backs away from you when you act out, when you're screaming? Here's the problem. Do you know what sin is? We've completely, because we misunderstood who God is, we've also completely misunderstood the nature of sin. Yeah. We only understand sin in moral terms. Right and wrong. Wrong, that which is morally wrong, is not the nature of sin from a biblical perspective. Sin is whatever separates you from the, the love of the Father. Sin takes you outside of the boundaries of the manifest love of the Father. Yeah. Let me explain. Nothing can stop God from loving you. Sin doesn't stop God from loving you. It stops you from experiencing His love. That's good. And that's why sin confuses you. When Adam and Eve sinned, they forgot who God was and therefore they forgot who they were. Prior to that moment, there was no self-consciousness. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, meaning they never did look at themselves and say, don't I look pretty? Or look at themselves and say, don't I look ugly? Or look at themselves and say, I'm dirty. Or look at themselves and say, I'm clean. Or look. They had no self-consciousness whatsoever. That's why they walked around butt naked and were completely unashamed. Why? Because they, they never had any sense of anybody's eyes being on them. Why? My eyes are not on me. Your eyes are not on me. You're looking at him. I'm looking at him. We only see each other through his eyes. Yeah. We are are unashamed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the moment they sinned, yeah. the first result of sin was self-consciousness. Yeah. All of a sudden, they realized they were naked. The first result of sin was, oh, something's wrong with me. All of a sudden, I've lost my state of intoxication with the love of God. I don't feel his love anymore. I don't sense his love anymore. I'm no longer beholding what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon me. Now, I've taken the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm eating from the tree in the garden, which means simply I'm taking for myself that which God is not giving me. I'm doing for myself that which God is not doing for me. I stopped trusting him and knowing God only, and now I know myself. And the fruit of eating of that tree was self-consciousness. They realized that they were naked. They were ashamed. Yeah. Why were they ashamed? They forgot God was their father. And now they covered themselves with fig leaves to hide from one another. But then they hear God coming and they realize that the fig leaf is not enough. So they go jump and hide behind the bush. Do you know what the Hebrew word for shame is? Bush. When they feel bush, they hide behind the bush. You know what keeps some people from coming to church? Bush. You know what kept some folks from coming to this retreat? Boosh. Yeah. I'm not coming because I just messed up. You mess up on Saturday night, you don't want to come to church Sunday morning. Why? Boosh. <laughs> Can you imagine your infant pooping on themselves and then hiding when you come in the room? When your child messes up, they don't hide. They run to you. Yeah. They run to the only one who can clean me up. Why? Because they remember, you're my father. You're my mother. They've identified. Adam and Eve messed up, but instead of running to the father, they hid from the master. They suddenly begin to know him as the master. And they begin to know themselves as servants. And they know themselves now as servants who have disobeyed. 
Suddenly, they're like the prodigal son who's gone to a far-off country, and they've ran, and they've hid. If your purpose is to be loved by God, then then the tragedy of sin is experienced more by God than by you. Yeah. You hear that? Yeah. yeah. Wow. If your purpose is to be the object of God's love, yeah. then sin is a greater tragedy for God than it is for you. Wow. Because it separates him from his heart's desire. Mm-hmm. What he wants more than anything is to pour out his love on you in such abundance that you wouldn't have room to receive it. What hurts God's heart more than anything is not that you don't grow up and be a doctor like he wants you to. But simply if you stop letting him love you. you. If you run from his love instead of running to him. If you allow shame to keep you running away from him instead of running towards him. That's what breaks God's heart more than anything. And this is the key. In our misidentification of God, because we thought that our purpose was something functional, something I'm supposed to do for God, you've missed something very important, that there's a distinction between your purpose and your mission. You do have a mission. It's something that God wants you to do in the earth. Yes, every one of us has a mission. We're going to get there Sunday morning. But your purpose and your mission are two completely different things. To the extent that actually what is of most importance is that you succeed in your purpose. Yeah. Even yep. if you fail at your mission. Yep. Yep. Your sense of significance is derived from your purpose, not your mission. Mm. Let me explain what that means. Your purpose is to let God love you every day for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, to live in his love, to make sure nothing separates you from his love, not just from the theology of his love. I'm talking about from the lavish bestowing daily of his love upon you. Your your purpose is to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you each and every day, to live in the awareness of it, to be intoxicated by his love every day, to come back every day with a heart that is open wide. Father, I'm ready to receive your love. Kiss me, hug me, hold me, whatever you want to do to show me your love, I'm ready today. Reveal to me, show me the wonder of your great love. I'm ready today. And to do that every day for the rest of your life, that's your purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your mission might be to be a doctor or a lawyer. Now, watch this. Let's just say, God forbid, matter of fact, I'm, I'm just going to prophesy this will not happen. This is just an example. <laughs> Let's say Alethea fails out of high school, joins a gang, sells some drugs, then becomes homeless, whatever. I mean, let's just say she wrecks her life, but she keeps coming home every weekend and sits at the table with mommy and daddy, and she continues to honor us and tell us how much she loves us and allows us to pour out our love upon her. Do you know what we'll do? We'll open our home to her whenever she comes. Meaning, you don't have to succeed to be loved by us. We'll love you even if you failed at life. Even if everything in your life fails, we'll keep welcoming you back to the table. Why? You're our child. We're your parents. You can fail at your mission but succeed in your purpose. And when I'm 90 years old and and my wife is 96. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, 95 and a half. My bad, my bad. (laughs) If I'm 90 years old, my 58-year-old daughter is helping me around in my walker. It don't matter how much money she's got at the bank if she's still there allowing me to love her. That's her purpose. 
you know, my dad's here. And I'll never forget, there was, there was one Sunday when Sunday and I got out of church. It was before Alethe was born. And Sunday and I went out to mom and dad's house. Mom met us at the door. Welcome to sin. It's interesting that when I go home, I'm no longer a pastor. It's not who I am. It's not my identity, but that's tomorrow morning. <laughs> I said to mom, where's dad? She said, he's taking a nap. Well, my dad's Sunday afternoon naps are epic. <laughs> They're not cat naps. They're more like hibernations. <laughs> so I knew he wasn't getting up. And I knew we would come and leave without seeing him. And my heart began to ache at the thought of leaving this house today and not seeing my dad. So I kicked off my shoes and I ran downstairs without asking. <laughs> And I went into his bedroom, and I just slipped in the bed next to him. And you know what I did? I just laid there and listened to him breathe. He wasn't saying anything to me. I wasn't saying anything to him. That moment together was not about getting something from him. I wasn't asking him for anything. I wasn't asking him to forgive me for anything. I wasn't asking him to bless me with anything. I wasn't asking him to prepare me for something. I wasn't asking him to help me understand anything. I was not there for any other purpose but love. And I laid there and I listened to him breathe. And I thought to myself, this is why mom and dad had me. This is what was in their minds. One day when we're older, our adult son is going to come lay down in the bed next to us. <laughs> That's success as a parent, isn't it? That, that even if you're 80 years old, your 60-year-old kid will come climb in the bed with you and just lay there with you for a while. That is, having that sense of closeness. You know how to fulfill your, your purpose? Just learn how to be with the Father. A heart that longs to be with the Father. You see, oftentimes we allow our mission to crowd out our purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so focused on our mission and wanting to accomplish something and wanting to do something that counts and wanting to become something and wanting to do something in the world. Adam only knew God, but we only know the world. Adam only knew God. He knew God first. We know the world first. And every once in a while we glance in his, but when we glance in his direction, it's to get him to do something on our behalf in the world. Wow. But tonight God wants to connect you to your true purpose. Simply to be the object of the Father's eternal love and to be an intentional recipient of his love. This is the truth. That God created you so that he could love you in eternity. Not just so he could task you in time. Yeah. it's good. Your purpose must be as eternal as you are. Yeah. That's good. Eternity is far longer than this little time on earth you're going to have. Yeah. And if God created you just to do something in this little few years you're here, what a waste. Yeah. To create an immortal soul for a temporal purpose. Wow. God is not that wasteful. <laughs> he says, you know what your purpose is? Not simply to fulfill a task in time, but to be loved in eternity. And this is what it means to live in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom is unbroken fellowship with God manifested by the Father's eternal love, which means that his love is so strong that even death cannot disrupt it. This is what Jesus meant when he said, he who believes in me and lives shall never die. He who believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. And he who believes in me and lives shall never die. What he means is that in your experience, you actually don't die. You don't experience death. You don't taste death. Do you realize that to know Jesus Christ means that you will never taste death? 
what, you know what death is? The people around you will experience you dying. You will not experience dying. You know what you'll experience? You'll experience being transitioning from one level of the manifest love of the Father to another level of the manifest love of the Father. All of a sudden, you'll step up into a higher place where the love is stronger and is manifested. And all of a sudden, all the barriers of his love are taken away. You will not experience death. You will experience a higher level of life. Uh, that ought to set you free tonight. That ought to set you free from the anxiety and the fear of all the lies the devil's been, been leveling at you, telling you the father's not pleased with you. All the shame that he's been leveling at you, trying to get you to forget who he is. But you only reconnect with that if you make the decision tonight, I'm going to stop worrying about me. I'm going to stop thinking about me. I'm going to stop focusing on me. I'm going to stop asking questions about me. I'm going to stop trying to get God to reveal me. I want God to reveal him. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to look up from the ground of the garden into the eyes of the Father. I want to DTR God. I want the Holy Spirit in me to cause me to DTR God. And all I want to know is you. All I want to know is the Father. Yeah. Our Father. Our Father. Come on, worship team. Come on, worship team. Come on, worship. Right now, I just want you to start talking to the Father, and this is what I want you to ask him. Give me the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I, listen, that DTR has got to happen for you tonight. You need to DTR the Father right now. The Holy Spirit is able to allow you to DTR God right now, to look into his eyes and say, you're the Father. You're, but I know you as Father. I know you as Father. I know you as Father. Behold what manner of love. Only the Holy Spirit can allow you to behold what manner of love. Just bow your heads just for a moment. Just bow your heads. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray right now in this place that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Open our eyes. Father, remove whatever hinders the flow of your love in our lives. Break the power of shame. Some folks need to come from behind the bush today. Some folks need to come out from behind the bush and stop, stop hiding and stop running from God. You only run from him and hide because you forgot that he's your father. Father, I pray that you'd cause our eyes to be lifted above ourselves. Okay. In Jesus' name. I'm sorry, I went too long, and it's quiet hours now. But this is, this is an important moment right here. This is an important moment right here. The lie is being broken off of your heart. The lie is being broken off of your soul. The lie that you've got to work to please God. That you've got to labor to please God. that you need to get your life to a certain point where God's pleased with you, you forgot who he is. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you settle upon every soul, settle upon every heart and upon every mind, open our eyes, and cause us to behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us.